You may be seated. I want to introduce to you um, someone who I have a great deal of respect for, Keaton Paul. Keaton is going to preach for us today. He's actually doing both of us a favor. Um, we, uh, we dropped our middle daughter off at college this, uh, this week, and I didn't think you wanted a bumbling, crying fool up here praying, or preaching to you. Just a, You're used to a bumbling fool, but adding crying to that was just a little bit too much. And then secondly, I really wanted Keaton to preach because I wanted you, um, our flock, to experience um, what the students at ZCA are regularly experiencing in our Bible department as well. So, Keaton... Thank you. Well, it is certainly a joy to get to be with you all, and I mean from this, the, from the bottom of my heart, that it is my, my life's joy and privilege to get to teach your children. Uh, if you will turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses 22 through 26, Mark chapter 8. Hear now the word of our Lord. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. When he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not enter the village. That is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, great God, we come before you now in desperate need to be fed your word. But Lord, we also come before you as those who need the salve for our eyes that is the work of the Spirit and your preached word. Lord, we pray that we would be able to see all things in light of the gospel, that our world around us is confusing as, and as chaotic as it can be, would suddenly become clear as we seek to exalt you in all things. Be with us now as we seek to be fed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw uh, a video uh, some time ago, and one of the you know, many viral things that we see. And, and in this particular video, it was a, a toddler being held by its mother and, uh, and sit, clearly sitting in a, in a doctor's office. And anybody who has uh, ever had children known anyone with children or been a child, you know that when you have to take your child to the doctor, especially a toddler, it's a bad day for everyone. 
And, and so here sits this little, little child in, in his mother's arms, and, and he's, he's got his little uh, squinty eyes, and he's crying, and he's screaming, and it's been a rough day for the poor little guy. And, and, and the doctor comes, comes walking up, and he, and he recoils back, and, and everything is, is just going wrong, and he just wants to go home. And about that time, the doctor leans over, and he puts... Uh, the, the, really the cutest little set of glasses you've ever seen in your life on, on this little guy's eyes, but his face is, is still squinted, and he puts the glasses on, and, and he just kind of peeks through, and then, and then suddenly he looks up, and a beaming smile overwhelms the face of the child, because for the first time in this child's life, he has seen clearly the face of his mother, the one who has cared for him and loved him and nourished him and brought him up. Where we come now in Mark's gospel is a plea for just that. It is a plea for the people of God to clearly see our Savior through gospel lenses. And it's in fact at, at quite a pivotal moment in Mark's gospel, the first half of the book up until this point is really striven to, to answer one question, and that is, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And they've seen a variety of miracles and, and a variety of different things about Jesus and what he's done, and it becomes pretty apparent who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. But as we'll see with this miracle and what it represents, while they might see that Jesus is the Christ, they have not yet clearly seen what the Christ has come to do. And so we begin looking at this passage first as Mark declares for us that we must see the Savior. And the first thing he wants us to see and know is that it takes a seeing friend to show who the Savior is. See with me here in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. We, we've seen this in a variety of places, actually, throughout the Gospels, where, where someone is brought to Jesus by the help of a friend. And it's, it's with deep compassion that these people bring with them a friend to Jesus. And it's in this faith that they have that if just the Lord Jesus will touch him, his eyes will be open and he'll see things clearly. Such deep compassion that we see in these friends. Is this not the call of the Christian? Go and make disciples. The Apostle Paul, citing Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And yet so often in my own heart, the, the things that I, I all too often dread are those very personal, very intimate gospel conversations with people that I know are not following Jesus. Why is that? Why, why is it that, that, that 
preaching the gospel and having gospel conversations and, and longing to see our blind friends be brought sight through the work of the Spirit and the Word of God and see clearly the Savior's face. Why is that such a burden to us? I can't speak for your heart, but I can confess to you mine. The reason why I so often forsake and view such a high call as this is because I often forget of the magnificent privilege it is to get to be a herald for the king. Recall with me from your history days and studying in school, there was nothing more coveted in all the world uh, in the ancient and medieval time as the person who was the herald for the king. They were, they were dressed in royal garb. They, they carried with them the royal banner. They rode on the royal steed, and they went out into the city to proclaim for all to hear, Behold your king. How much more, how much greater is that privilege for the Christian? That the Lord has called his people to go and tell the world, behold your God. And what an incredible thing that the creator and sustainer of the entire universe uses such lisping vessels as us to go and say, Behold, the Lord God Almighty. I forget all too often that this is the great privilege of the Christian life, to tell the world the beauty and the majesty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The burden is simply my idol of comfort, my life of ease. I can isolate myself, I can go and do my own thing, and I can say, you do your own thing. But there, church, is no compassion and love for our neighbor when we do that. There is no exalting of Christ when we live in that manner. We do not glorify God when we live in such a way as to say, Lord, I would rather not proclaim you this day. But how? How is it that we do this? This is the centrality of living gospel-centered lives. When the gospel is something that so has affected our lives and something that we ourselves are swimming in daily and preaching the good news to ourselves, it permeates from us. We all know wonderful saints that in some way, shape, and form, the gospel is just going to come oozing out of every part of them because they live because of the gospel. But moreover, I think, too, as the church itself, in a world of polarized times, what greater beaming light to a lost world than a group of people who love one another and love God and love our neighbor? 
how does that reflect the glory of God in such a magnificent way for all the world to see? It is that church who is constantly bringing the blind to see the glory of our Savior. But next, we move, we move forward. In seeing the Savior, we see that the Savior takes the blind by the hand. Verse 23, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Do you see anything? We've seen in a variety of places in the Gospels, actually, that, that someone who is blind was at best pitied and at worst detested. In John chapter 9, we see a very similar thing. We, a blind man sits there, and the Pharisees come by and, and say, Jesus, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? There's, there's clearly something tied here. He, he wouldn't under, undergo this if... If he were a righteous man, the Lord wouldn't do that. This man was utterly despised by the world around him, was considered the lowliest of the low. And moreover, what could a blind man ever bring anyone? He's helpless, he can do nothing. And yet, what do we see? Savior do a sign from come to the blind man and take him by the hand and lead him out of the city. Does not Christ do that for us? Has he not led us by the hand out of the city? While I was at seminary, I, uh, I, I made uh, more or less my ends meet and made enough for uh, uh, my weekly worth of ramen by working at uh, PetSmart. And there at the PetSmart, we had a, a kennel facility, and so people would bring us their dogs, and we would have hundreds of dogs at a time, and all kinds of interesting uh, stories and characters of dogs being brought to us. But one, one particular uh, in instance, we had uh, a pug brought to us one time, and if uh, you know anything about pugs... Uh, they're not exactly the most trainable animals in the world. Um, rather stubborn. You could say they're as stubborn as a mule, but that would be insulting probably mules. And so they brought us this, this pug, and to kind of add just to the, the standard nature of what pugs are and their own stubbornness, uh, our, our sweet little pug friend uh, was also about 150 years old in dog years, and by way of circumstance, they also had severe cataracts. And so that, there's a, a huge conglomeration uh, of, of issues going on that's, that's stacked against this poor pug to, to do a lot with it. And so with this pug, uh, if you'll also notice, pugs don't really have necks, so you can't put a collar on them. Um, it, it really wouldn't do any good anyway because they wouldn't follow. But uh, this little pug, the way that we had to get it around, it hated being picked up, so you'd set it on the ground, and it would go and walk in a straight little line, and right before it would run into a door or a wall or something like that, right before it would hit that, you'd, you'd gently 
pick it up, move it, and redirect it, and then it would keep going. And that was how you had to keep this little pug moving along and going in the right direction. But aren't we thankful that Christ doesn't come and occasionally redirect us? Christ here takes us by the hand and leads us out of the city. See the divine condescension, the, the, the loftiness, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all, the one who righteously pours out his wrath at uh, the flood, who righteously pours out his wrath against Sodom and Gomorrah, comes to blind people as we and takes us by the hand and leads us out of the city of destruction and leads us into the celestial city. That is a Savior that we must see in all of his grace and his mercy and his love. That the righteous judge purely from his grace, has come to us and said, you're going to follow me now. That is amazing grace. But we move further. We must, after this, third and finally, see the Savior clearly. Seeing the Savior clearly. This is verses 24 and 25 after having laid his hands on his eyes and asked, do you see anything? The man replied, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is such a strange miracle, and in fact, in all of the Gospels, this is the only account of it. But this is also a, a unique thing about this particular miracle. It's the only miracle in all of the Scripture in which Jesus has to do something twice. It's perplexing. Je Jesus, the one who speaks, and people come out of their grave. Uh, Je Jesus, the one who says, take up your bed and walk, and they rise from their bed, take it up, and they go home. Suddenly, here Jesus is, and he lays his hands on him and says, what do you see? And, and the man doesn't see clearly. He just sees ever so vaguely. And he does it again. And then finally, the man sees the world around him, and his sight is restored. What's actually being done here is Jesus is showing the spiritual state of, of the disciples themselves. They have seen Jesus feed 5,000 and then again feed 4,000. They have seen Jesus walk on the water. They have seen Jesus calm the storm with his voice. And yet they don't really see who Jesus is. And this becomes uh, profoundly evidenced in the very next section this is Peter's great confession. Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, Who, who do people say that I am? They reply, well, some say you're a prophet. 
Some say you're Elijah. And then Jesus says, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, replies, you're, you're the Christ. You're, you're the Messiah. He's got it. The light has turned on his brain. He's good. He knows who Jesus is. But then Jesus explains, here's why I've come. I, as the Christ, the Messiah, have come to suffer and be crucified and die and be raised the third day. Peter, Peter's distraught. He, no, 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 Lord, no, Lord. Anything but that. You, you didn't come to suffer and die and be raised. You, you came to chase out the Romans, right? Jesus, in the harshest possible terms, rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. I fear that this all too often is the state in which the Christian lives. We only see Christ as vaguely as we like. As long as Christ is far enough away, I can keep him at a distance. I, I, I like being able to have Jesus uh, fix my problems and tell me how good I am, but I don't like it when he tells me take up my cross and follow him. Is not our blind spots, as Peter's clearly was. He wanted a Savior who simply chases out the Romans. We want a Savior who simply fixes our problems while neglecting our true and great problems, sin and death. It's not our blind spots, truly just a sort of masquerading of our most treasured idols. We like that Jesus can be our Savior, but we don't like that he takes from us the other things that we prefer to deliver us. And so we say, Jesus, we, we enjoy you being a shrub or a tree or whatever we like, but we never want to see you in all your glory and all your majesty. We enjoy you being our Savior, but we don't particularly enjoy you being our Lord. I think that's the plight of the church that I see today amongst many, including myself. I love my idols, don't we all? They're comforting. But Christ says, those things, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have noses, and, but they don't breathe. It is Christ alone, and seeing him in all of his glory, and his majesty, and his beauty, that while at times the beaming light hurts our eyes, it is precisely what we must do to come from the deep 
recesses of our own hearts in the darkness of, of our own ways and come full into the light of the Lord and His glory in the gospel that we might live to Christ and die to self. We must live to see Christ clearly and to make Christ clearly known. That is our call. So our question becomes, do we see the Lord? Do we long to see him more clearly? Do we long to see him exalted and for our loved ones to see him as well? That is our call and that is our mission. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, you alone are mighty to save. And Lord, you alone are able to open the eyes of the blind. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would uncover for us these blind spots where we fall short of your glory that you would open the blind spots in our lives and we would forsake the idols of our hearts, O oh God, and find our rest fully in Christ Jesus. We pray, O oh Lord, diligently for our loved ones and our neighbors who are blind without sight. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would send forth your Holy Spirit to open their eyes, but Lord, we pray also that you would send us, that we would proclaim your glory for all the world to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.